Hey, everybody. We are back. Welcome back to the Prayer and Push-Ups podcast, Healthy Living for the Mind, Body, and Soul. My name is Ben Talug, and I'm here with Neil, the giant ginger Maxwell. Welcome to the gyms. We left you off last week. We were talking with Dave, the body, Van Vickle, and he has been gracious enough to stick around for a second segment. So we are going to just keep carrying on the conversation from where we left off last week. Uh, and so we were talking about adventures and needing to go on adventures. Um, and Dave, Dave, you do a lot on spiritual warfare, which I really wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to talking about spiritual warfare and fighting the world and fighting with the flesh and fighting with the, in the, in the spiritual realm, how do you see fitness of your physical person kind of fitting into that? Sure. So, um, a quick little like catechesis on the world of flesh and the devil, right? So at the fall, right. Um, everything goes wrong, right? So the devil is the, right. The background cause of, you know, evil and sin in the world, but, uh, because of the fall, right. The entire world falls, the, the world and the flesh, right. So our flesh kind of fights against us and, uh, our threefold battle, right? Like you mentioned is between the world of the flesh and the devil and our souls, right. To go to heaven. So, our flesh is the easiest of those battles in the sense that um, you, you can pretty easily beat your, your flesh into submission to, to um, work towards salvation, right? So we see this in the lives of the saints, right? That um, it, there's no one, right, uh, who's going to get to heaven without an experience of the cross. And for some of us, that's tragedy in our life. For some of us, it's just, you know, uh, whatever it could be. Um, but for some of us, we have to, in a sense, cross ourselves, right? Um, like you see this in, in the life of St. Francis of Assisi, right? Who is known for his feats of uh, penance and fasting, right? And he literally, you know, he'd call his body brother ass, right? Because it was stubborn, right? <laughs> he would beat his body into submission. Um, and and even I recall, he, he was asked if he had any regrets and his one regret yeah. was he wished he would have been nicer to brother ass. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And then he, but he, but then he followed that up with, but I'd rather err on the wrong side than the, than, than wow. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and Francis, he did err on the wrong side. <clears throat> he did err with regards to that. He, he actually probably his death was probably because of the fasting. Right. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he pretty much um, lived a, a, he had severe, severe issues, but the point is, is that, we do have to beat our bodies into submission, right? That's, that's our bodies should not tell us what to do. Right. And so particularly with fasting, right. It is a very easy way um, to kind of put your body at a mode of prayer, right. That their body experiences that hunger and that hunger can very easily translate into the hunger for God. Okay. So when it comes to fitness, when it comes to diet, when it comes to weightlifting, uh, there's like really easy, um, not far off jumps to the spiritual life, right? That we're making our body do things that the body does not want to do and telling our body, right, that we're in control. And, and, I, and I mean that in a very basic way, right? If there's a philosopher listen out, listening out there, I'm not saying that we're just souls like working bodies like a robot or something like that, right? But that like we're trying to get our body to work together with our soul, right? And so I think for me in particular, right, um, it kind of reminds you, right? Like, it, I, I mean, to be honest with you, it's very strange. Like, I, I feel like you can easily sit in this world in 2020 America and not realize you have a body. I know that sounds weird, but you know, when you lift and you lift heavy, it's like the first time in your life where you're like, holy cow, I have a body. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even know that that existed. Right? Like, I didn't know that those, those muscles existed. And I didn't know my heart could pump like that. I didn't know that my blood would feel like that. And it reminds you kind of like you're working that thing, you know, so. It, I, when I, you get done with that first workout and you have to like move your head to your hand because you right. can't lift your arms high right. enough to right. like wash your hair in the right. shower right. afterwards because oh, they're just dead. Yeah. Or leg day. I mean, it's the worst, you know, I get it. I swear I get it worse than anyone. And <laughs> I, I mean, for days I am just like, you know, slipping and stuff like that after like that i told my wife i wanted to put the handicap rails next to the toilet in our bathroom just for after leg day right 
Because, man, getting off of that thing after leg day is it's just brutal. Brutal, right? right. <laughs> it is. Oh, my goodness. Well, no, I, was, I mean, that was something we were talking about. We were talking about the, couple, or was it the last episode is just um, this idea Christ wants all of us, right? The totality, the totality of ourselves, And if we are, you know, the body, soul, composite, the control, like the, our like ability to offer the totality of ourselves is like, we can, if we have self mastery by the grace of God, like that's a greater gift. Of course. So like whatever that looks like in that self mastery. And like, when you think about like, just the idea of learning how to flex your muscles, like right. knowing where those things are and how to contract. Cause like, I, I mean, if, with teaching and training like new people, like that's the biggest thing is just realizing like that's a part of themselves. And so like, you know, like what is it with like lat poles, you know, teaching, uh, especially my wife lat poles, um, getting her down, lifting, like, you know, I have to, you know, you put my, I put my hand on her spine and trying to like teach her to like have her shoulder blades try to pinch my hand realize like that's something you can do right, right. And, and, and then like i think with you know the interesting thing with like high school boys talking about like never doing a push-up or whatever like actually knowing how to peck pop like yeah. and being able to do it they had no idea that that's a thing you could do right that's funny yeah, yeah you know it's it's also like um i don't know i don't know like who you guys are into but like you know uh west side barbell and these guys yeah they they're, it's interesting, like, you go to some of these old-school gyms, like, gyms where they weren't working for hypertrophy in the modern sense. Like they were lifting as heavy as they possibly could on almost every single lift. They're, those gyms are filled with monks. I mean, like, or philosophers, armchair monks, armchair philosophers, guys who are contemplating, like, the bigger things in life. And there is a link there. I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough to, you know, spell it out. But there is certainly a link there. And, you know, I mean, what do they call Louis, the mad monk of, of powerlifting or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, Louis Simmons. Yeah, Louis Simmons. And you, you see a, there's a lot of philosophers, you know, who, who are lifting weights and lifting super heavy, right? There's yeah. something about that. Yeah, uh, like, uh, was it Kabuki Strength? Uh, yeah, yeah. Duffin, uh, Duffin and stuff like that. Like, he kind of has that same where just, like, um, there's some switch in his head that's just, like, it's not right by most people's standards because he wanted to be, like, before he was 40, he wanted to be able to squat um, three reps of 1,000 pounds. Right, right. Like, his lifetime goal. And the what he had to do to do it, but, like, it affected, like, everything else in his life like it was it, it was this whole everything totality of self and you look at at least in the eastern monk tradition this idea of uh, i forget which shaolin temple that where they have to do the their their highest level of mastery is the two finger one hand handstand right if you're saying it for where it's like their entire lives is dedicated to this thing but it affects like the entirety of their philosophy and we were talking was it either last episode or about um, you know, St. Francis and his asceticism, but it reminds me like the, the dendrites and the stylites. Yeah. Like the same thing, like a total like strangeness, but yet everyone would go to seek wisdom from them. So that's why like it was considered like, you know, the Louis right. Simmons is like a Mecca to go right. learn from the master. So yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what the, like, if there's, like what the fullness of truth or like how much of the truth exists right. in there, but like there's something there. They're, they're, yeah. They're searching for sure. There's no mm-hmm. question. So that's actually a good, great lead then. So we have these people that are lifting heavy weights and searching for truth. Yeah. So how do you see exercise and lifting playing a role in evangelization? Well, okay. So I, well, let me just say this, that first of all, I don't, it's never played a role for me. It hasn't. Okay. Okay. But I can see because um, as far as lifting goes, specifically heavy lifting, I have never outside of like church seen a community like um, a powerlifting community, right? Powerlifters love other powerlifters. There's not ego in powerlifting. It's fun. It's a funny thing. You know, it's not like some of the other, they get a bad rap because they, they compare it to bodybuilding. It's not like that, right? So you see an incredible community there. So that's one thing, right? Just building real friendships and real community that are based on real things as opposed to media is, is one thing that's important. The other thing is this, that um, as far as men go, I mean, 
respect is there, you know, and that can be a great bridge of trust. Like for, for me, uh, when I'm, you know, giving talks for like, you know, high school boys or something like that, they love it. They love hearing stuff like that. Whereas to me, it's not impressive to me at all. Like I don't, that kind of thing is, but it's a big bridge of trust that they're like, Oh, this guy tried other parts of, of, you know, things that we're interested in. That's a huge, huge bridge of trust, you know? And I think that also, um, it's, a you see unofficial mentorship relationships in every gym. And that's a great way to disciple people, a great way to disciple people. I, and I know people who do that. I don't personally, because I work out in my backyard and I basically lift as heavy as I can afford weights, you know? So it's like, I don't, I don't have that, but I know people who do. Yeah. I mean, that was, that, that was it for me when I, when I had a gym membership before I got my home gym um, is, you know, I met just a lot of interesting folks, and yeah. I, so like I, I wasn't the guy who had like his headphones on. He was in his own world kind of thing. I was the guy who's right. just meeting people and talking in between sets. And like, it was like, it was an opportunity to just um, like share. Uh, I, I remember like I met a guy named Vlad, right? So who's, who's named Vlad? And like he- you know you're you gonna know, be a good lifter if your name is Vlad. Man, he was, he was an awesome dude. He, he was there like same time I was, we was kind of like same schedules or whatever, but like, you know, he, um, was constantly on his phone in between sets. And then finally he, he went up and talked to me and shared his story or whatever. Like he was a recovered alcoholic and he was a sponsor for like tons of men. So that's just all he was. He was doing it on his phone. And like, that was uh, like one of the things I was keeping him on there, but like, you know, we share faith and, and, and do that. And then there's always opportunity for like, you know, uh, before, you know, COVID and everything else and like, you know, bringing someone in to set with you. So like, Oh, there's only one squat rack. Let's share it and yeah. stuff like that and, and hang out. So it's, it's, um like what is it with men it's always like there has to be some sort of like forge that bonds the relationship in some form it's like the best ones are through competition like when i played rugby like rugby as a sport um is a simulation of battle the waves of men yeah. crashing into one another and like that's what it is and so like you're like like i you know all my old teammates or whatever are still fantastic friends even though i don't see them or live with them or anything like that because we went to battle together. And I imagine that's probably the yeah. same for you, man. The guys, men you served with. What better? But Some of them. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't actually, I, didn't, I know it was shooting at me when I was that. <laughs> you know, um, when I, you know, I worked uh, at a parish for like eight years here in Pittsburgh. And um, we have, uh, I, I don't know if you guys follow this guy, but on the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's a guy, his name is Alejandro Villanueva. And mm-hmm. he's, He's all, he's like seven feet tall. He's like three seven sixty five, three seventy five, just a, a mountain, right? And he was an army ranger. Yeah, he came and spoke at our parish, and he is super eloquent Catholic speaker, like quotes. Oh wow, Benedict quotes Von Balthazar, all these, you know. Um, and he speaks like six languages. And he came, and one of the things he said that was so interesting was, um, you could always tell the Christians um, in the firefights. He always knew the devout Christians when firefights started. And he, he gave an example of this kid um, who got you know shot in the foot. And uh, I mean, this kid was, he was an army ranger. So he was a BA for sure. But he tells this story about this kid and he went nuts and he went crazy, just freaking out. Doesn't, didn't know what to do. Screaming, please save my life. Please save me. Please save me. I have family back at home, all this stuff. And he said, you know, this kid just went nuts and, and he knew the kid well. And he knew that he wasn't a Christian, you know, and he said his, his best friend uh, was a devout Christian, you know, and uh, they prayed together, went to church together, stuff like that. And his uh, best friend in one of the firefights was shot seven times in the chest. And he said, he looked, he looked at Alejandro in the face. He said, tell my wife, I love her. Tell them I serves well and I'll see you in heaven. And he just died, you know, calmly died. And he said that like, he just, he, he, he knew the measure of a man by how they died, you know? And I think that that's like something that most people, I mean, most of us will never even get a taste of that, but there is something to be said for like, you know, looking at how our faith life should affect the way that we compose ourselves, the way we hold ourselves, the way we work, the way we act. And I, that story really affected me when he told it, you know? I don't know if you've ever read, uh, Wild at Heart by John yeah, Eldridge. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, he says, so I was with a group, a small group of guys. We were doing a book study on that book in Afghanistan. Wow. 
And so we went over, this was like the third time I'd read through it. And we were going over the part where he says that every man has that question in his mind, do I have what it takes? Right, right. And so all I can think when I'm hearing you tell that story is this guy clearly demonstrated right. he had what it takes. Right, right. I mean, he, in the end, yes, he lost his life, but he lost it with dignity. Right. And right. he lost it with courage. Yeah. And he didn't go out whimpering or whining or, you know, complaining that it wasn't fair or anything along those lines. It was, we're asking, how could this happen to me? It right. was just, okay, here it is. Yeah. yeah. It was incredible. It was a really moving story. I mean, it was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. It reminds me, like St. Athanasius talks about, like, evidence for the resurrection is that before Christ, like, everyone feared death. Yep. And then after Christ, they went joyfully to it. And even, like I said, like, even how, like, see the witness of the young people training themselves for death, for martyrdom and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's not just, yeah, and Athanasius, he says that, but think about even in our time, Pope John Paul and Veritatis Splendor, very strangely, right? He cites like as a and as as a witness to truth, martyrs, and you think like, gosh, here's one of the most philosophically advanced documents that's come from the church in a long time. You know, it's excellent logic, excellent philosophy, excellent theology, and he cites martyrdom as like one of the proofs for the existence of real truth. You know, I think that's yeah. true. Well, it was, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Is it Chuck Colson? Is that it? No, I don't know if that's. Prison to prison. He was, no, I don't think. uh, Was it, gentlemen, he's now a, he's he's a fairly well-known Christian, but uh, I don't know if I have this right. But anyway, he was part of the whole uh, Watergate scandal. That's Chuck Colson, yeah. Yeah, it was Chuck Colson. Okay, I had it right. And he said that, the evidence for him that Christianity was true was because he saw, amazingly, 12 men involved in Watergate not last right. a matter of weeks keeping their stories straight. But yet these other 12 men who followed Christ kept their stories straight not for weeks but for years right. and then literally died for it. Right, right. And he said, that, that's what sold me. Yeah. <laughs> They, I know. Were, they were either telling the truth or they were all completely and totally yeah, right. out of their minds. I mean, that was, that was the, that's the option. So. Yeah. It's incredible. It really is. So I guess here's, here's the question then. So for like, if we see this, this, this test is like the kind of the true, um, I guess, revelation. Do you have what it takes and to lead a signet? Like everyone's going to be a martyr. It's either a red martyrdom or a white martyrdom. And what do you think, I guess, white martyrdom looks like in 2020? Like, oh, man. If... We, we desperately need it, first of all. It doesn't look. We're not having it. It's not happening, right? That's the problem. But what I would say is this, that um, wide is the road that leads to perdition, right? I mean, and we are watching that in our society. There is not a big difference between being in the world and not of the world and being in the world and part of the world. There's just not anymore. Unfortunately, it's, it's sad. And I think that we're going to have to, in the next few years, have the courage. Uh, and I think in particular, like our clerics are going to have to have the courage to say, are we going to be radically counter-cultural? And we are going to have to answer that question because it's it's getting to a point where it's not going to be any other way. It's not going to work. And, and take that from an evangelist. I mean, I believe a hundred percent in getting in the culture and trying to evangelize, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you right now, if we don't start to separate ourselves, we uh, we're living in Babylon and we are loving the flesh pots and boiled onions and you know, all those things. And we have got to desperately separate ourselves from the culture that, uh, that is, is destroying us, taking yeah. us away. I think two, two thoughts that come to mind with that is one, I think uh, the best way to evangelize is to stand out. Right. I, I, I agree. No, I no agree. one, no one cares what you're bringing to them. If you're I agree. Different. I agree. If you're different then they're like, well, what is it that you have that I don't? And then they might consider something, but if, if you're the same, then what's it matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I think, I think that's the direction we're going um, working with young adults 
you know, you have, I keep seeing these jokes about this, but you have the, the older people, the, the boomers, and even some Gen, Gen Xers that are saying, if we want to bring in the young people, if we want to bring in the 20s and the 30s, we got to have this kind of music and we got to do this type of thing. We got to change up the liturgy. Right. And then you've got the young people in that age group going, uh, can we do a Latin mass? Right. <laughs> right. They so want radically different. Right. They want radically different. They want the tradition. They want the, they want the um, foundation and that, so, that solidness that comes from that, mm-hmm. that shows them we are different. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think for like in my family, we have like a family motto, right? And the family motto is this. And I pr- pretty much say this to them every day, right? It's our job. The only thing that matters is that we go to heaven and bring as many people possible with us. And I think that we have to start expressing to the families that Christianity is not just another part of life, right? That you have Amen. to give up a lot, to actually go on that narrow path. And um, I'm seeing it even in my own family, right? I mean, people are just not willing to give it up. And, and I even mean like, um, and this is going to fly in the face of what we were talking about before, but uh, like the culture of sports in America, the fact that it's all encompassing now, right? That a kid can literally play three sports in one season and never be home with his family. That is an atheistic mindset, period. It is. It's weird. It, and you have to, you have to, it's hard to reason to that point, but it's true. Um, you know, the fact that kids are involved in every, we obsess about our children, right? In a sense, like it's kind of a yearning for eternity, right? Like obsessing about our children, uh, it's a way to grab onto eternity without worrying about heaven, right? Like we worry so much about the next generation, but not necessarily about where we're going when the next generation is going right? to be yeah. uh, older, you know? So, and, and where are we bringing the next, where are we taking the next generation with us? Right. Because where we're going as a generation is where we're going to lead them. Right. Absolutely. So what are, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, you hear all this talk about, uh, saving the earth and global warming and climate change and what are we going to what are we leaving our children well what are you leaving your children are you bringing your children into an eternity that you want them in or are you leaving your children into a short little window of life on this earth that's then going to end in a very rough eternity yeah and i think that's a perfect example like the environment issue because obviously we all think it's important right like we want to like take care of the world we want to be good stewards okay but in, in a certain sense right it is such a fine line from jumping from that wanting to be good stewards to atheism. Right. And here's what I mean by that. We have a limited amount of time. Any father knows that any mother knows that we have a limited amount of time and resources that we have to worry about things. First things first, first principles. Mm -hmm. And, and we are just being filled with distractions right now, filled with distractions, you know, uh, and we're seeing the consequences of that on the news. I mean, it's horrifying to watch the news right now. It's, it is horrifying. That, that's why I stopped. Oh. I know. <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, okay. Oh, this is a, so, actually, Neil, you go ahead. You ask the next question. Oh, I was, I'm sitting here just like, I'm sitting here contemplating this conversation because it's just, I think it's very telling to me, like I'm sitting like almost like doing an examination of consciousness this time of like things I need to repent of things I need to like get rid of and, and be less attached to because, um, like, like with my family and what we're trying to do, like, that's, 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 that is the same thing is, is I'm like, I have to get my kids to heaven. That's the biggest thing that I fear is that like God will provide, God will give enough graces for every, for the salvation of every soul. Like if they avail themselves of it. Right. Right. But at the same time, like I fear for like quality, good men that would be spiritual fathers for my children. Right. And, um, and and for me to be that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you know, somehow I ended up being, you know, the man I am today or whatever, despite having like, uh, my dad was an alcoholic, right? So he, you know, he chose the bottle over his family, but, um, like it was, you know, it, it, so that's like, like an impetus to drive for me to, to be that way. And I think 
yeah, our, our whole lives like have, have to be different. I mean, it has to be different. And with, I think the rediscovery of tradition and like the traditional forms, my wife, you know, like I said, it was like, you know, I felt like we were deprived of a culture. Like we were, this is, this, this was taken away from sure. us when we figured out like blessed salt and like the extra exorcisms sure. and all these extra graces that like could have been availed themselves to us. Like we gotta, there's so much more. And, and just like, I think discovering exercise later in life, like, oh, I wish I would have started earlier. And sure. disco- discovering, you know, novenas and blessed salts and the power of the rosary and like spiritual reading and the like awesomeness of sacred scripture and all these other things, like, if only, like, but sooner, but sooner. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you know, one of the things you said, I, I think about this often and, um, you know, the, the, the praying for spiritual fathers for your children, you know, one of the things that I'm most picky about are what priests I allow to interact with my kids. And it has nothing to do with being afraid, right, of like the scandal. It has nothing to do with that mm-hmm. in, in scandal in the news. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with the sin of scandal, right? That I want my boys to see an example of priesthood that I think is fitting of the priesthood, you know? And so like, if you ask my boys, my three boys, like what they want, if you were to say to them, like, would you rather be a Navy SEAL or a priest? You would see the most confused look on their face because in their mind, like that is the same thing, right? They're like, I don't know. I don't know what I would want to be. Like they don't understand because I have really tried hard to present to them, right, like a case for the priesthood of manly men, men who live for the gospel, who are willing to give up everything for the gospel. So like we have a lot of, you know, because of my work, we have a lot of exorcists at our house. My, my best friend in Pittsburgh, he's like a, he was a division one football player, you know, I, a bunch of priests like that, you know, who are just awesome. You know, I have a really good friend who's like a, a world renowned expert on relics. And my, my boys think he's like the Indiana Jones of priesthood, right? Like, I, like he, <laughs> that's like, that's literally how they describe him, you know? So they, they see this idea of like, just like, wow, the priesthood is amazing. And it's an adventure and it's men living out a masculine vocation. It's not like someone who's like, well, I don't really fit in with the masculine values. So I'm going to go into the priesthood. It's not at all like that. Yeah. And I pray so hard, right? That, that is what, boys can experience throughout their whole life so your your boys would, would really enjoy the priest that brought me into the okay. church um so being a convert i told my my then girlfriend now wife that i would go debate any priest of her choosing <laughs> that's um th- this was my level of confidence yeah. and she picked this priest that when i say his name when i'm giving my kind of telling my story of how i came into the church i say his name and i can immediately tell who that who is listening to me knows who he is right because they immediately start snickering or laughing out loud Right. Like, right. Oh, you are screwed. But, <laughs> <laughs> but th- this guy uh, rides Harleys. Yeah. Is an avid hunter. Yeah. He's, he sounds like he's on the radio no matter what. How in the yeah. world that no one has given this man a radio show? I right. don't know. He has the most radio show voice of anyone I've ever met in my life. Right. Uh, when I walked into his office one time here, here in Minnesota, they're very particular about firearms and you have yeah. a, you get a permit to carry which i hold and i would carry quite frequently and but you're not supposed to carry in churches without permission explicit written permission from the pastor and i realized i walked in to meet with him one day and i had my sidearm on me and i had not left it in the car like i meant to and so i apologized to him as soon as we got in his office i said hey i've got my sidearm on if you're if you'd like i can go put it back in the car and come back in and we can you know start start a discussion and he immediately says what do you got <laughs> and then he says can i see it <laughs> so you know this is the this is the priest that brought me in yeah. and in his previous parish he started a fundraiser <clears throat> which was poker and cigar night yeah and yeah. men of the parish in the area surrounding area and other people in the area around the archdiocese would come and they'd pay the entry fee to play in the poker game right and then you could buy in again if you got knocked out. You had one more buy-in, and they sold alcohol at the at the bar, and you could buy cigars. And it was just a bunch of guys sitting around playing poker. Yeah, right. it wasn't a huge, you know, it was it was it wasn't a huge cost to buy in. But then whoever won won a pot at the end. Right. And it was just it was a, it was a fun night. Of course, and, yeah, right. You know, it was it was a good time. A bunch of guys just having a good time and knowing they're surrounded by other Catholic men. Right. 
You know, that right. was the other thing is it was men doing men things, but surrounded by other men who agree with them on a moral level. Yeah. And it's funny because you'll level. get, you'll get a lot of flack for things like that. I used to do a similar event called cigars and saints, you know, and, uh, and I got a lot of flack for that. Um, and, and this is the thing I don't think people realize is that we, we have to provide like, um, licit, uh, leisure, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like men are filling their lives with illicit leisure, right? We have to provide licit leisure. Uh, it plays a, plays a big role. I, uh, um, I even for a little bit at the parish, we, we, we had something called CrossFit Fridays and it didn't last for very long, but I had this guy come in and he would just beat us. You know, he was like an awesome <laughs> trainer and competed on national level. And then we would do the stations of the cross. I mean, it was so cliche, right? Like it was like, you couldn't get more cliche, but uh, you know, it was, it was hugely successful for a while. And, and um, things like that are, are, are important. And it, like you said before, you know, a, a priest who like other men respect is important. Right. And I'm not saying in, by any means that there are priests who don't have those characteristics that are, that are worse. It's just for my boys ages who I want them around are yeah. priests that they, they look up to in every way. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And are still prayerful, holy men, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, what is it? Um, I think some people in the, the Catholic like internet world are afraid of, um, like muscular Catholicism. I don't know if you heard this term where it's, you know, it's like this overly masculine, machismo, like toxic masculinity, stuff like that. But it's like, no, it's, it's, it's men who are confident in their priesthood. They don't necessarily have to hunt, smoke or anything else like oh, that, but like right. are willing to sacrifice and lead. Like right. in, in what they're doing. I, like, I think I have a hard time. Like one of the things I, I don't know how to handle sometimes is working with priests and meeting with priests is when I'm in a room with a priest and it's time to open up the meeting with prayer and a lay person. Right. Oh man. <laughs> I got just... in trouble here again. You're going to get me, you're getting me on one of my soapboxes here. I know I've, I feel the same way. It is it's bizarre. It is totally bizarre. And um, you know, this is, this is interesting. And this is something that, you know, we could get off on a crazy tangent here, but like in the exorcism world, okay, which is where I know most of my priest friends from, right, is uh, working with priest exorcists, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the one who I've assisted most recently, right, it, it, he, he is not in any way, I don't want to say he's not masculine, he is, but he is not, I mean, I don't know if he's ever worked out in his life, right? I don't know if he's ever seen a gun in his life. I'm not, I don't, you know, I, I don't know any of those kinds of things that, like, you know, you kind of see as like hypermasculinity or whatever, but it, he has a confidence in his priesthood of who he is mm -hmm. and the demons are terrified of him, right? Terrified. I mean, the guy's like a big potato, right? He's boring, right? He's not anything that anyone else would be intimidated by, but they're terrified of him. And the ritual actually um, says, right, um, very strangely, and if you read it, you wouldn't understand why. Most people would guess wrong, but it says with a commanding voice, right? With a commanding voice, okay? Uh, they would say these prayers, okay? Now, most people would read that and say, right, you're trying to intimidate the demons, right? You're trying to show confidence. Well, the demon knows if you're confident or not, yeah. right? They can read your biochemistry. You, can, you can't And we all it. know. We know that, right? We know that a bully, right? deep down you can always tell if they're nervous or not you know you can tell what if what's bravado and what's not demons are like that even more than we are okay the reason for the commanding voice right is for everyone else in the room right that the priest stands up and says i got this right i'm 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 in charge here no one else is not the demon not anywhere else and this is important and it and it ties into one of the things I really try with my boys to express to them, right? When crisis happens, I try to teach them remain calm, right? We don't scream. We don't freak out. You look for the person who's remaining calm and you follow that person, right? And that's a big thing that I tell the boys, right? Like you do that. And, and my son, it's almost unnerving, my son, Sam, right? Because he will literally like saw his finger off, right? And he'll be like, dad, I cut my finger off. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Like freaking out. And he's like remaining calm, you know? So he's like really, you know, he's got it. But that's a big thing. And I always say, like when something bad happens, like something spills, something crashes, something does something like that. And one of them freak out, I always say, Sam, 
the man's job is to remain calm and to do something about it. It's not to freak out, right? That's, that's what I want in the priesthood, right? I want a priest mm-hmm. who walks into the room, knows he is the priest of God most high, and knows what he's supposed to do and takes charge of that, right? And that's what's important to me. Yeah. I'm going to get so many emails complaining about what I just said from these. I don't know. How, like, how could you not want a father who knows how to lead, right? Yeah. Like, if, if, if you want, if he, he has his title ontologically, like, he, you know, as a priest or whatever, but, like, to, to, to live up to that in some way, shape, or form, at least in his humanity, like, you he has to lead and it's um you know I, it reminds me like i don't know if you've seen the the documentary about the the devil and father of mort right the, yeah i watched it yeah. where you like you know you always you know rub uh, oh, right. the, thumb of the devil like before every right. time you do it he, you know <laughs> yeah before yeah. the start because what are they gonna do and it's you know and the same thing you tear all the saints or whatever being attacked and they just laugh or whatever because they know who's in charge they like know who's won the battle and like again like Neil will tell me, and you might know too, Dave, who this guy was, but the, I cannot remember his name, but the saint who was being burned alive. Yeah, like Lord. a spit. Lord, saint, and then he's, he's like, hey, guys, I think I'm done on this side. You going to flip me over or what? Yeah. yeah, when you read the real story, he says like a whole eloquent, like, uh, it's awesome, like soliloquy. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's true. It's true. It's, you know, knowing who you are, what you are, and where you stand um, is something that's so important, not just for men, but for women as well. But particularly if the mm-hmm. man knows, uh, it helps everyone else in the room. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, my, so I, w- I was taking a class, my favorite class I think I've ever taken in my life uh, for my master's uh, called Complementarity. Okay. And it was taught by Dr. Deborah Savage. And she was talking about an example in her life of where this complementarity came into play. She said they walked into the basement of this old church and suddenly, I think it was one or two bats started darting around uh, by the ceiling. And she said, immediately, all the women are under a table. Right. And she said, and all the guys are immediately organizing to catch the bats. Right. Right. Like there was no question. They were just like, get them, get the yoke. All right. <laughs> They're grabbing stuff from around the room. What do we need to get these things in the they, right. they got him and they got him out of the church. He said, that was, <laughs> right. that oh. was his role. His role was to protect. None of them questioned that. Right. They just jumped on it. And you, and I think you do see that like, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, oftentimes like men, right. They rise to the occasion that they're expected to, but priests are the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, well, they're men. So <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Priests are the same way. They rise to what they're expected of. And, and like a congregation that understands, um, sacrifice and understands. And by the way, I, like I'm not a traditionalist at all, but I understand that our understanding of priesthood is totally radically different because he faces us, right? But if you understand him as the chief sacrificer, right, uh, that that a mediator is not something to 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 keep us from something, but it's a path, a path forward it makes a big, big difference in our understanding of the priesthood and it helps us so much to understand the pastoral side of the priesthood as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, you know, the true man is like someone who stands in the gap, right? right. And that's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's been lost with, you know, first Papa versus Ad Orientum. And we try to, you know, I catechize about that. Like, who's he talking to or whatever, when he's right. saying all these prayers, like not talking to us, like, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, man, I don't know, like, I'm excited. I'm excited for the workout I'm going to get after this. Like, that's the thing. I'm like, like, I'm I, I was like, nothing here, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, because it's not that way. long of a drive from Texas. You right. <laughs> There's body weight stuff or whatever. Just like, the, it's just about like, how many squats can you do unbroken? How many push-ups yeah, can you right. do unbroken? Right? And lunges, um, you know, all that other stuff. But like, um, and that's and honestly, like you talk about, like, you know, knowing where you are and knowing where you stand. And that's the beauty of weightlifting is like, you know, you either, like yep. in deadlifting, either moves or it doesn't. <laughs> yep. And, and it's, it, 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 it's so, I think, cause it's, that is a way to get confidence. Cause I'm, I'm the thing that I guess that's like the biggest question of all this is, is we see the goal and 
those little questions like, okay, well, how do we get there? Like, and what, what are the things that we need to be doing to get there? Because, um, man, it is like, uh, there's, I know there's some books about like differently on raising boys into men and challenging them and giving them opportunities for this success or whatever. And like taking on the adventure, like wild at heart and stuff like that. But it's like, it is, um, a very daunting task, I think. So yeah. I, I, thank you for all the advice that you've given so far yeah you you know um it is a daunting task and you know what i think helps is clarity you know um my 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 studies as of late right have been deeply diving into the relationship between exorcism and baptism in the early church right and what i'm realizing is whether you believe it's good or bad okay I, i i tend to believe that we left something behind that we shouldn't have left behind. But the understanding in the early church of baptism and exorcism is that there are two, two worlds, right? It's Augustine, right? The city of God and the city of the devil, right? Now, what do you hear every time a priest, even good faithful priests, when they talk about the devil, what is their first piece of advice? Well, you don't want to give him too much credit, but you also don't want to ignore him right they're they're walking this fine line it's like read the church fathers for five minutes there was no fine line right they knew you were you were either of your father the devil or you were city of light right and yeah in evangelization there is that process right the pilgrimage from one to the other and we have to watch that and be respectful of it but i think clarity helps us all to say like there's not as much gray area in society as we think there is right now there really isn't that we can be people of the lights, right? Or we can be people of the dark. And I think that the first problem with what the devil's convinced us of, right? Is he, he doesn't, he's convinced us that we can't call evil evil. Mm-hmm. I think probably one of the biggest reasons that people don't like to do that is because when you draw a line in the sand, then you have to choose a side, right? And that's, I think, a good place to start is to say, hold on a second. There are eternal consequences for everything that we do here. And we got to choose a side. We're not going to be gray the rest of our life. You know, at least for me, I know that that helps to think about, you know. Well, two things that to me, gray area kind of sounds like lukewarm. Yeah, it does. And it is. Is is not where you want to be. (laughs) And uh, the other thing that I think is, is an issue for people drawing a line in the sand is uh, the first reading this last week talked about if you don't, if, if I have a message for someone and you don't deliver it, right, and then they're damned because they didn't have a chance to repent, you're guilty just as they are. Right. And once you draw that line in the sand, it's much easier to see the people that you love and the people that you know that are not on the correct side right. of that line. Right. And then now you're forced, you're, you're in this position where now it's your responsibility to point that out to them. And they're either gonna hear what you have to say and say you're right, and then they'll come join you on the correct side of the line, or they're gonna say, screw you, man, I'm doing what I want, and now you've lost that relationship and people don't wanna risk that. Right, I think you're right. And and they don't, I don't think people trust enough that like maybe your role is to just communicate that because maybe they never knew that the line was there and maybe it's up to someone else in their life to come along and actually be like the one who takes the next step on their journey to, you know, evangelize them. Yeah. You know, I, I, cause I, I've had that with kids when I teach them, you know, my, you know, sixth graders missing mass on a holy day of obligation, like is a mortal sin. Like if, right. like, and they're like, what? And, and, and right. like, I've had kids, you know, like I'm, I'm afraid for my parents' souls. Like I'm, I'm, I'm afraid for them cause we don't go to church but they, you know, pay you a lot of money to send them to a nice Catholic school. And it's, and I'm just like, well, like pray for them, ask frequently that like, you know, in, in honor of the baptism and the faith that you have raised in me, I want you to take me to mass and then like be ready every, you know, be ready in the morning on Sundays to like, Hey, I'm ready to go to church. And like, if they take you or if they don't, that's on them. But like, you, but you've mm-hmm. seen change. You've seen like this, like, is there only just because you present that? And like, I've sure. heard tons of other stories of like someone just like saying what the church teaches on morality and 
like leading to conversion and leading to like, you know, um, they just had no idea because we like we lead with so much with love, but not truth. Of course, you know, in the catechism, it says that there's a organic, there's an organic link between the dogmas and our spiritual life, right? Like the truth is the face of Christ, right? I mean, it, it's Christ. And so when we proclaim the truth, it is a revelation of Jesus, who is a revelation of the Father. So mm-hmm. it is evangelical, believe it or not, right? To, to tell someone the moral teaching of the church, it is evangelical. Is it charismatic? Not always, right? I mean, not always, but you can make it charismatic, certainly, if with even just a little bit of craft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly that's the case, right? And, and I, I know this, especially from just the pro-life movement, right? I mean, just being outside, and just your presence there, right, shows that the world, that you know that this is an evil that's happening. And it is incredibly evangelical. Anyone who doesn't think that has never been spent hours outside of an abortion clinic. You will meet people who say, gosh, I was going to do this, but I didn't because of you. I, and you might not even say anything. It's just your presence there. So I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's time, I think, now um, – for us to be very clear teachers of truth in the world because there just aren't a lot out there. Anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, the fear, I think the fear is that everyone, you know, they, I think everyone's starting to accuse each other of being a magisterium unto themselves, Yeah. you know, and because they get too involved in, um, right. Accusal. The traditional movement, like denying communion on the hand or anything like that. It's yeah. like, you know, because I, because I'm, you know, personally for my family, like I will raise my children only to receive, like we only receive on the tongue, we'll only receive, but like we'll also be obedient to the bishops because obedience first. Right. And right. it's, and, and it's something that, but, uh, uh, man, I, I, there was a question. I, I just have to backtrack to like the, the relationship between like the ancient church of baptism and exorcisms because you were, you were saying like, you know, we have to like re, you know, by baptizing and exorcism, like, we're like reclaiming territory for God, right? To incorporate them into the kingdom of heaven. Um, like one of the things I think people don't like realize that like we miss about like the triple bat, the triple exorcism of the extraordinary form, is like the deliverance from like the um, attack of of the evil one, like that has affected the family lineage, right? Like I, I've at least seen a lot of. I don't know, maybe you can say more to this about like. Um, like having Freemasons in the family and you have no idea the, like what your family have gotten you into, but like the protections of the grace of that in the sacrament that have been like lost or, or like, or at least not as much there. I don't know. Yeah. So, so this is a super vogue topic in the nerdy, super secret world of exorcism right now is the idea of sins of lineage, right? <clears throat> uh, hereditary curses in a sense, they would call them, you know, depending mm-hmm. on, what vernacular to use. Um, and, you know, I'd say some people believe that, that they, they exist and some people don't. Right. And I think I was one of those people who did not believe they existed. I, I did not know how a uh, lineage could, it could um, extend past baptism. It didn't seem right to me. It didn't sit right to me theologically, but because of this deep dive I've been doing into the relationship between exorcism and baptism, I'm starting to understand why uh, theologically you could make the case for that um, because it is pretty clear, right? That both blessing and curse can exist in the same person, right? We know that just in our own life, right? We can be a, a holy child of God, but also have sin in our hearts, right? And we know that from like cursed objects, it's possible to have a uh, an object that is cursed, right? And a priest could bless it. And that blessing could be fully fine and, and, and a blessing of the church, but that the, the effectiveness would be to exercise first and then bless, right? So that would be the older form. Um, when you go to the early church and you talk about blessing or, or the sacrament of baptism and the preceding exorcisms, you're not just talking about one, two, or three. You're talking about months of exorcisms, right? Uh, months. months of months of, uh, if I mean the month of Lent, right? The forty days of Lent was basically forty days of exorcisms, right? Um, and and ceremonies that were ex- incredibly intense, right? Incredibly intense uh, ceremonies of exorcism. Also, just um, 
in a sense, you might call it like self-exorcism, right? Like renewal of baptismal promises. But at that point, it wouldn't be a renewal. It would be a promise, right? Um, little like little ceremonies that would help you to claim yourself, right? Um, exsufflation from priests or from exorcists, um, the uh, anointing, right, with the sign of the cross, all these little things. I mean, literally a month of this stuff um, shows how they saw right? This idea that we had to beat back the ties of the devil in order to allow this person to experience fully, right? And, and, and I want to say the word experience, experience fully or surrender fully to the grace of baptism, right? Because obviously the, the person would be baptized no matter what, right? It's not like, oh, we didn't do enough exorcisms, the baptism didn't take. It doesn't work like that, obviously. But certainly the idea to surrender, right? Um, the ability to surrender and to be fruitful, right? Have that grace take fruit in our lives um, and not remain latent in a sense, right? Is like, I think the word that Thomas uses, right? Yeah. That those exorcisms were necessary. I mean, it, it really is incredible to see how much exorcism played a role in the early church's baptisms. I mean, I think anyone who's ever taught a confirmation class or done a confirmation program has kind of seen the need of having this type of extreme preparation or to receive the sacraments. Cause like I've, it's like 10, maybe going, I'm actually might be going on 15 years now, at least if you count my high school and college experience of like seeing kids get confirmed every year. And I could see where like, those that have really taken it seriously, prepared for the process, like the efficaciousness and the graces received in the sacrament. And then those who, you know, just get it, right? Like, and, it, and it's, and you're just like, well, I trust in the grace of the sacrament and late, it's going to be late in grace. I mean, that's what it was for me. Right. But, and, and it, you know, thank God it worked, but like, I, I, I don't want that. Like, I don't want that for the, the kids or whatever. And so you, we keep racking our brains as to what we should be doing better each year, trying to figure that out and like keep reinventing the wheel. Um, you know, you know, to, to, to your point, um, we're getting into like some serious sacramental theology, but like, you know, the, the, what, what, a, what a modernist theologian would say is, Oh, looking at those exorcism ceremonies, that's, it's so, um, esoteric or it's so like um, medieval right in a sense like right and they had to have those because these people were practicing paganism right but satanism is in three forms right satanism first off is the the idea right that uh the world uh, ha has kind of signed a covenant with the devil right that the world tries to draw us away uh satanism also takes the the form of of a personal life of atheism in a sense, right? Of, of worldliness, right? Of siding with that. And then finally, in the third sense, it would be like cult Satanism, right? But in those three forms, right? None of them are more satanic than the other, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so just the idea that someone worshiped Baal back in, um, you know, 76 AD or something like that, it, they're spiritually, you can be just as messed up worshiping money and fame and sex and power, right? Um, now you're not worshiping, uh, you're not being explicit about it, but certainly the liberation from that satanic practice, right? Of worshiping something that's not God needs to happen. Okay. So I, I think that there's could be more, there are plenty of argument to be made that we need to bring back uh, some form of, Lent before sacraments and in confirmation. I mean, we, we gotta, we need our best minds thinking about what to do with confirmation in America in 2020. Right. I mean, it's, it's a <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we're like all those, the things that we well, normally have are retreats and like, and all these other things that like, we're going to have issues. How are we going to even do them with COVID and right. Right. Yeah. To actually give them an opportunity to like have a moment away from the world just five seconds so that can maybe have a chance to encounter God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if we're the best minds, but uh, <laughs> and I have come up with an idea. Uh, we're going to be doing kind of like, uh, for lack of a better way, we're like coffee house discussions where we're going to bring in a guest and it's going to be the two of us and our guests. And we're going to sit and kind of, kind of basically record a video similar to this. Yeah. 
the three, the three of us will be in the same room, but we'll be recording a video, just the three of us discussing the, the topic for that, that particular week. And then they will upload that to YouTube. And then the kids get to watch that versus having someone speak to them or speak at them. They get to, they get to watch a conversation um, about it, which, and then we're also, as Neil was saying, finding time, we're going to be giving prayer nights where the whole, that whole night for confirmation is about educating them in one way to pray and then giving them time to do that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they desperately need a chance to have a moment of encounter. And I think that, I think one of the answers is taking the pressure off of a particular year. Yeah, I, I just I, I I get all kinds of complaints when I say this on, on my podcast on Every Knee Shall Bow, but I, I think we have got to take the pressure off of freshman year confirmation or eighth grade year confirmation because uh, you, you're never going to have uh, you're always going to have parents who say like, oh, no, they can't get left behind. Right. But if we if we could take the pressure off a particular year, it would help immensely you know well if we can see it as not a box to be checked yeah right right well you know yeah and approach it when you're ready for it whether rather than when the appropriate grade happens to be there right yeah and and i've seen two ways of doing that and that's you know i think out in denver doing restored order right in the whole diocese what when is that when does it happen i think for them it's uh like before first communion right so like they're doing it so like yeah. second grade essentially for their restored order and then the other thing at least here in uh minneapolis st paul i'm not sure if like why disciples started here or or was was piloted here which is like these you know house small groups and sure. they decide sure. to do it as a group so there's no you're you're put in a group in either middle school or high school and then like you there's a deadline for when your group needs to decide if you guys are going to do it or not. right so so like, the guy who like was behind Why Disciples, Jim Beckman, right? And he's like one of these, he's just an out of the box thinker with this kind of stuff. And that's, mm-hmm. we need to get together and think about this because, you know, I, I, my, my plan has always been like, you know, when a bishop finally calls me and asks me for my opinion, which is never going to happen. But, but my plan will be that I say, well, why don't you stop doing parish confirmations? Just once a month, do it at the cathedral and let parents approach the pastor like in the old days, right. And say, I think my son or daughter is ready for confirmation and let the pastor make the decision. It would take so much pressure off saying like sending out a letter to all the freshman parents saying the Bishop is coming on October 12th. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to get your kid ready. You know, it's just, I I think we have to do something. something. I had not actually heard that approach. And I I think that's my favorite one so far. Um, Other than, other than just doing it with baptism, which, uh, Right. I get a lot of pushback on, but the Mary Knight right does it that way. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's beautiful. So, I think it's certainly an option. Let's just do it. Yeah. I couldn't get worse. You know? No. <laughs> well, I mean, and also like, you know, the grace is available to them earlier. Right. right. So like, there's an, there's something to be said about that. Um, I, but it's um, at least maybe it's, Maybe not. I don't think it's necessarily a universal answer, but we got to think about like Americanism and American culture and stuff like that. And it's and it, right now it's a graduation. Okay, it just is. It is. And like, I I guess I'm. I don't want to get too angry or whatever. Or I don't want to be despairing. Or it's like I'm tired of managers. Yeah. Like if this was a business and we were looking at our quarterly reports, seeing what the numbers are doing. CEOs heads would have rolled right and I'm and mm-hmm. I understand that it's it's very different stuff like that but it's like no no, no we need like radical change we need we need difference and, and uh, you know I think as as laymen you know we tro- we were called to marriage and called to to you know be you know domestic priests for our family in a certain sense um, and don't necessarily have the officer power to be able to make those like changes at least on a greater scale or whatever so there's almost a struggling impotence or whatever but we just gotta like focus on our six foot world right like this this is all the power that i have or whatever i just need to keep my head down and focus on what i actually have responsibility over right Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i i definitely do that with my family we we do not participate in parish sacraments prep we don't do that um my son sam we 
prepared him on his own and we chose a Saturday morning mass, uh, not with the community, which some letters just say it should be with the community. Some letters say not, I I don't care if it was, it could have been a Sunday mass, but we were not going to do the first communion ceremony. We weren't going to do it because I didn't want the pomp and circumstance. I wanted him to focus on receiving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it made a big, big difference. And we choose parishes based on whether or not we'll feel the autonomy to be able to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. Well, I need to maybe maybe the decision needs to happen for me to um, find uh, move out of the same parish because I, I worship and I work at my same parish. Right. It's hard. It's, oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's it's I, I do my not. In laws. Yeah. I don't well, think I, I could do it. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I mean, well, we were married at this parish. Like right. this is the person. This is where my wife's parents were married yeah. where like the whole family goes and so like there's sure. all this like great community and like family connection stuff like that and it's like it's a great it's, it is a great place and, and i and i do love working there and stuff like that but it also like you're too close to home profits without honor except in his own home like that yeah i get it i get it yeah man but, I've been I've been writing an article lately uh, called uh, "How to Work for the Church," where I'm just like giving some tips on how to be a good employee for the church, and uh, you know, part of that, uh, and, and you'll you'll know this because um, I've done both. I've I've lived and worked in the parish that I attend, and I've done and I've done the opposite. Um, but creating disciples is something that you are there for, not just for your purview. So if you're a youth minister, like you're not just creating disciples amongst the youth, like your core team, the people you meet, like that's who you want to be at a parish. And I I always found like it was so challenging, right? Because yeah, you had that time after mass when you could like really like disciple people and, and have that time. But it also, it was a double-edged sword, man. They saw your family. They, 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 you know, it, it was, it was hard. So I've been working a lot on that. Just thinking about, you know, what, what's the right thing. I mean, I've like literally a challenge. Oh, go ahead, Ben. No, I was going to say for me, the challenge was always uh, trying to actually enter into the mass. Right. Because when I'm sitting there, what I was in charge of a number of different ministries. And so I'm sitting there looking around at the mass okay, there's a team that I haven't actually talked to before. Why haven't I met that team? I'm the youth minister. I need to talk to them. There's a young adult that I haven't seen either. I need to talk to them too because they, you know, we got to get them to come out to something. Uh, You know, I did the men's ministry. So there's men everywhere that I haven't talked to yet. You know, so I'm sitting I'm working yeah. and I'm not actually praying with the mass. Right. And so that's, that was, that's like best case scenario. Then someone comes up and says, can you unlock something? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like if you know how to fix the thing and you're there, you want to get up and go fix the thing, whatever that yeah, is. Right. But I, I was just like, I mean, talking about like, I love going to mass things. where I'm just the dad who sits in the front row with the right. loud kids. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, at least I, the, story, the one story I want to tell, though, about like embarrassing in my home parish was co- the coming back from communion. Uh, coming back from uh, communion, um, my son was walking back with me. My daughter was in the back of church with mom because she was being rowdy. <laughs> she runs and just like two hand shoves him straight in the chest, and he just flies back on his butt. <laughs> just yep, everyone's here sees it. Like my whole youth group, everyone else sees it. Right. Just like my son who's older getting decked by his little sister <laughs> right this is this is what it is this is purgation thank you lord for right. the opportunity to offer this is right. oh. oh man we've all been right. we've been going a long time i don't have we covered all the questions if we, have. Have we so, exhausted the topic i think i think we've covered that and much much more <laughs> and this is fantastic, uh, yeah we're absolutely loving this this is awesome yeah well, uh, but we also want to be respectful of your time and we know you have a lot going on and right as it is i think we're still going to split this now into another right. episode because we have gone so long so uh really really appreciate you giving us the time neil i, I don't know if you've got anything else you wanted to say well, I just, I want to say for, is there like the always the opportunity whenever you're a guest on a podcast do you want to plug yourself do you want to like a deal yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah yeah, so, so I uh, have a new apostolate. Yeah, I have a new apostolate. You can find it at the the Catholic Truth about Angels and Demons dot com, and uh, that normally takes the form of a live event. But during COVID, I'm doing 
tons of webinars. Um, and I'm specifically working on um, uh, kind of uh, being a new voice in the area of the theology and devotion of Catholic spiritual warfare. Um, and uh, I think there's a need for a new voice because right now, what we have in the church is like uh, two competing sides. Um, you have like a, a radically traditional side, right? Um, and you have a more Protestant side and the two major players are coming from both those sides. And I think that there is a place uh, just to, in the heart of the church, right? Uh, to talk once again about spiritual warfare, provide really good theology. Um, Cause most of it, even from both sides is anecdotal, right? I heard this, I heard that a saint did this, a saint did that. Um, and I want to provide like theological foundations for liberation from evil and, and highly theological, highly practical stuff. So you can take a look at my work there at the Catholic truth about angels and demons.com. And because I went and looked for what he was talking about there, if you live in the reading Pennsylvania area on October 19th, you will be talking about this at Holy Guardian Angels Roman Catholic Church. So if I'm reading getting this correct. You correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's what it looks like. I don't even book those. Somebody books them for me. <laughs> I knew something about his calendar that he did. Yeah. Um, it's the beauty of Google. Right. So, um, but yeah, so we'll include the links for the website and for every knee shall vow podcast. Uh, along with these here to make sure that you can find Dave um and what he's got going on so uh again dave we know that you have just a lot that's happening um and we really appreciate you taking the time to sit and chat with us absolutely yeah and and just know that you uh, you and your family will continue to be in our prayers thank you so much amen yeah because you know you're uh got a lot going on Neil, do you want to plug us really quick before we go? Okay, I guess we'll just pat ourselves on the back. Uh, prayer, you can find us at the Prayer and Pushups Podcast at gmail.com. Prayer and Pushups Podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know if you like this episode. You can also find us on uh, Facebook.com slash Prayer and Pushups. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Prayer and Pushups for both of those as well. Please give us a five-star review on whatever podcast app or four-star, three-star, one-star, whatever works for you. Um, uh, but give us a review. And then the greatest compliment you can give us is, is sharing this with someone that you may find this conversation to have been beneficial. So, and as always, so thankful you guys are joining us for this. We look forward to seeing you again, hearing from you again. Reach out, let us know what your thoughts are on this. If you'd like to hear more of this, if we should bug Dave to come back and join us for yet more, more time. <laughs> um, or you could just go find him on his own podcast so that we aren't harassing him. But uh, anyway, let's get out there. Let's live intentionally. God bless everybody.